Trash Cinema. Hey everybody, it's Trash Cinema, and uh, we are in our final run of the shows. I said yes. Uh, when the last time I did an episode of Ken Hill, I said it was the final episode of the series with him. I lied. I realized how far away I am from episode 100, and uh, he's back. <laughs> well, we didn't uh, we didn't take Scalp's crazy horse, but we did raise some kind of hell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was so much closer to episode 100 than I actually did a count, and I was like, oh, shit, I'm not even close. So he was grateful. Uh, I mean, grateful. Sorry, that's not what I meant. Um, yeah, you better be grateful, Kent. That's how special I am, just being so glad you're back. No, um, I'm grateful he's back for one more round, one more shot of trash, and uh, this episode, tell, tell them what it's about. Well, it's... Uh... Uh, it's about them holograms. I think they're the cat's meow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you've noticed in the artwork for Trash Cinema, there are some movies we've never covered. And one of them is Megaforce. I wrote about it uh, back when I first started doing the book, and I've given up on that idea because apparently not that many people cared. So uh, I wanted to do that, but I was trying to think of something to pair it with. And I was like, Delta Force. Shit, we just did Delta Force. <laughs> That's right. What so other... What, what's the, Go ahead. So what, he decided to pair, so what he decided to pair it with is actually the modern-day big-budget equivalent uh, of Mega Force, which is G.I. Joey, The Rise of Cobra, which is practically the same movie, and, he, and it's, 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 it's posing as a G.I. Joe movie. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that's what I kept thinking about. I was like, well, Mega Force launched... Just as uh, Hasbro, <clears throat> excuse me, Hasbro was relaunching the GI Joe line, and it's just funny how those that coincidence of things lined up. And I think a lot of it has to do with the rah rah go America. You know, Reagan was in office, and the Olympics were just around the corner, and we we're getting stuff like Ra uh, Rocky. You know, he was becoming international, and then Rambo. All this stuff was coming. You know, hooray America kind of stuff. Um, if you want to put in certain terms, jingoistic, um, with a lot of these films, what I like about Megaforce is that it's almost the exact opposite of all of those movies. It's more in line, I think, with like Flash Gordon and Superman, it, the fantastical elements of it. Right, right. It's, um, <laughs> I love, I love the fact that there used to be like this, uh, this there used to be this sort of unintentional um, need to parody a lot of stuff, uh, you know, around this time. And even though this isn't a this isn't a parody, like I don't think it was I don't think it was written as a comedy, but it just um, <laughs> you can imagine like in my in my happy place, you know. Where there's a you know a, a little midget riding around on a hobby horse and a, a chick with a sexy lingerie holding up two big jugs of beer on a lawn chair you know and uh, and chub and you know in the world where Chubbs has his hand um, I, I, I really wish that Will Ferrell had have done like a remake of this <laughs> I can see that yeah. with with him playing Barry Boswick and um, and did like just shoot that script. Like, don't change the script at all. But get all of those guys that Will Ferrell hangs out to play the parts. And, um, yeah. Call it Mega Farce. 
Yeah, mega, mega fast, or you know, yeah. mega fast. Okay, so I looked, I looked up in, I looked a little bit into the development of this film, and originally it was set as a more serious international affair. But Albert Ruddy, right. the producer, said, uh, "Let's take more of a spoof tone to it," and that's exactly why they cast Barry Bostwick. They had seen him on stage doing Pirates of Penzance and thought that he could play it big and campy and fun, you know, tongue in cheek. So. It actually is intended yeah. to be something of a spoof. Yeah, which is and and uh, I love how there's actually a line in the film that references that when uh, him and Henry Silver, the general, comes off to him, he says, and Henry Silver says, "Oh, he's the model of a modern major general." <laughs> uh, yeah. oh. No, he is. He is. Sorry, he is the very model of a modern major general. So uh, yeah, a little musical theater Barry Boswick reference in there. Yeah, it, it's kind of sad that he never really got his time to shine. He has moments that everybody remembers, of course. Rocky Horror Picture Show and Spin City did what was on for like seven years, and he was a co-star right. of that. But he never really got a big shot to shine because he was more of a stage actor, and he loved to play stuff big and tongue-in-cheek. And I think that's what kind of held him back from being uh, in more like studio releases. He does a lot of movies now, but... He's more like the comedic sidekick. I, I think he's hilarious. I think it's in Scorpion King 4. He is an absolute blast. Yes, yeah, yeah. Jeez, those movies get, get weirder and sillier, but they're still fun. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and, and also that sort, of, that sort of leads us a little bit into in our second film there with G.I. Joe because uh, the Scorpion King, of course, the product of Stephen Summers' uh, uh, mummy movies. Uh, Stephen Summers, of course, directing G.I. Joe, The Rose of Cobra, which really also, like Megaforce, and, and I know it probably wasn't conceived as as a spoof, but, uh, man, it sure does play like one, man. I had a great time laughing my ass off at G.I. Joe in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. Do you, uh, well, I think the difference is, and I had a, a lot of problems watching Megaforce this time, and, and I usually do. Um, it's cause right. part of it's cause I have uh, attention span problems, but I forget right. how long it takes to get to the action. There's a lot of, Hey, let's do this, uh, do, do ex machina or whatever, you know, the wandering around and showing, uh, Persis Kambata everything. And that just right. drags and drags. And I can't remember the other guy's name, the one from Knight Rider. Um, wow. I can't remember his name. Uh. If I saw it, I remember. But, you know, it's, it's that. Yeah. That feels like it takes forever, and there's so much exposition, and I'm just like, just get going already. And there are tiny yeah. little action sequences that feel like they're straight out of the G.I. Joe comic book, if you ever read it. Yeah, yeah, sure. But it, the patience that is required, and the tone, to me, never really finds its place. There's stuff in it that's so big and cartoonish, but then it goes straight back to being normal again. I think all of that falls on Hal Needham, who was never really a director in the first place. More, you know, he was a stunt guy, and then he just got, you know, um, Burt Reynolds basically gave him his first few jobs. And I think a lot yeah. of that was just luck, because look what happens after him uh, and Burt Reynolds went their different directions. You know, after that, everything just kind of, just, it's not that good. Really, what is it, Body Slam and uh, Rad, the second Cannonball Run, I guess, isn't anywhere nearly as good as the first one. Uh, Hal yeah. Needham at the end wasn't. You could see that uh, Burt Reynolds was carrying it for a while. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, uh, yeah, and I mean, yeah, there is some lag in this movie. Like, there's some 
But the, the, the funny bits um, sort of come and go. It's sort, of, it's sort of like when you get like a really good chocolate chip cookie, but there aren't a lot of chocolate chips. Right. In it, you know what I mean? Like it's it's like the uh, it's like the scene in Casino with the muffin. Yeah, look how many blueberries your muffin has. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's like. It's sort of like, oh, uh, you know, this is a really good muffin, but damn it, I wish there were some more blueberries in it. Because Mega Force is like for me is like part of the holy trinity. If I'm if I'm gonna really chill out and, and drink a lot of beer and eat some you know, uh, stuff that'll really screw up my arteries. I want to watch like Mega Force with King of the Kickboxes and Deathstalker too, and a and a blessed holy trinity of of uh, silliness and bravado um, that doesn't really make sense. But um, yeah, no, it's it's but it does have it does have some lag. It does it does like a lot of uh, fun movies. There are some moments of of tedium. Where you think, like, man, if this had just a like, keep the keep the jokes and the spoof and everything's good, but the pick up the pace, like, do we really have to do this in real time? Yeah, um, I love Henry yeah. Silva, and this is during his revival after Sharky's Machine, and I think people forget that he was a very funny actor when given a chance. Oh sure, yeah, he's a great like Henry Silva's really uh, a one-two punch, but he's. Of course, more lauded and remembered for just being that. Uh, like Henry Silver can just sit there and stare menacing, and that's all he needs to do in most movies. Um, particularly in stuff like um, Above the Law, and uh, and and uh, like in uh, Ghost Dog, where right, the Samurai, yeah. and uh, where he just basically sits there and stares, and no one. Like, I mean, Robert De Niro can get away with that, but De Niro kind of needs some lines too. But Henry Silver can just sit and stare in the scene, and he's doing everything he needs to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, that, but the thing is, I think people forget that he can handle dialogue. He is, um, when, when it comes to villains oh, yeah. of the 80s, he was James Bond level, even though he never got to be in a 007. That's true, and he would have been. He would have been fantastic. Um, he would have been a fantastic Bond villain because he's just so the stare that he has, his natural, uh, you know, bone structure and his eyes. I mean, it's just naturally menacing. Like, how often did you see scenes where he has very little dialogue? You know, like you said, not that he couldn't handle the dialogue, but he really is a less is more kind of guy. Yeah. And he just, he just needs to stand there and, and, you know, you know he's the bad guy when he walks into the room because he's got that uh, that air about him. Even even as he got older, like in Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, where he's, uh, he's not a huge part of the story, but his, his gravitas is evident when he's sitting sort of in the middle of the other two mobsters and he's just sitting there with that look on his face and you just know that he's the one that, you know, is uh, the one not to fuck with. Right. Um, well, by then he was very so, gaunt, and he was more skull-faced. And you notice, like, he's in the yeah. first Ocean's Eleven. I think people forget that. He was somewhat handsome. And as he got older, as his face changed, you yeah. could see then. I think that's why they cast him so many times in Italian films. Italians love, like, that strong look, but silent. Um, yeah. And that's why Charles Bronson was so popular. That's where Henry yeah. Silva made his bones through most of the 70s and early 80s was doing those films. And thank goodness people like Burt Reynolds and um, 
Andrew Davis uh, discovered, like rediscovered him, whatever, and they cast him in the uh, Code of Silence and Above the Law and stuff like that. Yeah, he was really good in. Um, uh, there's this sort of a lesser known Australian vampire movie called Thirst. No, I don't know that one. Have you ever seen that one? No. Well, check that out. Henry Silver plays like the. Uh, what do you want to call it? The lead vampire or the that's, head? That's odd. Oh, it's so vampire. genius. He looks like he could pull off vampire, like a Jack Palance kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really off bit. It's not very well known. Uh, people who have seen it's it's mentioned very. You see a few clips, and it's mentioned very briefly in um, the great documentary, not quite Hollywood, about the exploitation era. Okay. But um, yeah, but because it, it was. It was one of so many, like, once the VHS market began, uh, the content that was provided was just, you know, fast, furious, and, and the more ridiculous, the better. But uh, because of that, a lot of films kind of got lost in the wash. Um, and and that's, that's a, there's, there was a lot of horror, thriller, and stuff from that early 80s period in the exploitation era that, that still really hasn't had... Um, a wide release, but Thirst, I think, I think because of the documentary Thirst is now a bit more widely available. Um, certainly, they re-released it when they did the exploitation series on DVD through Umbrella and companies like that. So uh, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Henry Silver fans, if you haven't seen him in the, uh, you know, one of exploitation uh, and uh, vampire exploitation, uh, um, you know. Which continues in movies like Daybreakers by the Spirit Brothers and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, the um, let's talk about Michael Beck real quick. It's yeah. it's kind of a bummer that the Warriors really broke him out and everybody was talking about him, and it just could not come together for him after that. It's you know Xanadu is famous for basically you know shutting the door to all those people who are hot for him. And then he just trickled down in these B movies, and you think you keep thinking he's going to get a shot, and all the movies tanked. I mean, I am a huge fan of uh, Battle Truck, aka Warlords of the 21st Century, but it didn't make any oh, money. Oh yeah. Um, no, and, no. And this was a huge flop, and then he did some TV stuff that just didn't go. Even Houston Nights with Michael Perret, on paper right. that looks like it's a hey, this is Miami Vice, but in Texas, this should be huge. No, and I have not seen him in ages. Right, yeah, it's um, yes, it is. It is funny the way sort of careers go. I mean, um, you know, people that had like, like you, 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 there's sort of more. I think there's more out of this particular era of actors that sort of were like, they did a couple of movies, they headlined a couple of movies, and everyone it looked like they were on the verge, but never got there. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or or they or they did, but it's more of, of a cult sort of status. It's not a legitimate like, you know, like oh yeah, he started off in whatever, and then he worked his way up to be this really respectable actor or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, back then you're also talking. This is the lingering '70s, so if you wanted to break out, you had to have a huge comedy or something very dramatic that was noticed by you know award season. If you're in an action movie or fantasy movie. You were considered a throwaway because, well, it's it's about the action, it's about the fantasy. It has nothing to do with the actual guy in the lead, so we can just toss you away. Whereas now, right. it seems like if you hit it in one of those movies now, you have 20 movies lined up 
big budget studio movies ready to go because studios are now starving for that next big star. Oh sure, and 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 genre genre is more keen today than it was at the time. Yeah. So it's uh, it's 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 a it's kind of a weird uh, a flip flop of what was what was is now be what 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 was not now is and what is is now not or whatever I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, a complete reversal of of the times where. <clears throat> If you if like just say today, uh, Megaforce done as a comedy, uh, released as an action comedy with Will Ferrell, uh, would would probably be, would probably be huge. Even if we even if we take it back say five years, right? Mm-hmm. Wind it back wind it back five years. So you know he's a little uh, a little probably a little bit younger. Um, but even still, even still today, it would be a hilarious. Uh, movie, you know, especially if he got together with the guys like John C. Riley. I don't know who John C. Riley would play in Megaforce, but um, well, no, you keep you know. him. You give him a toupee and make him be the Michael Beck character because he's already got that southern accent thing going. He could just do that. Uh, but I think the thing yeah. is, it's also this is from a foreign studio, and when it comes to tone, foreign audiences or foreign studios usually don't know how to handle the comedy. Comedy seems to be really owned and in a certain way by English speaking countries, Australia, Ireland, England, America, Canada. They usually have they usually set the rhythm of what's popular in comedy. But you have Golden Harvest, which I believe was the Chinese company coming over and producing these comedies. I think their stuff is bigger and more visual. It's not more dialogue based or subtle. And I think yeah, that yeah. was what the problem is because I feel like there's these big, big comedy moments. So let's talk about the end real quick. When he has the motorcycle take off, that right. is such a crazy visual. And then it's played different than anything else in the movie. It's a very funny visual, but it feels so out of place that I don't know how to right. feel about it. It feels like it's more from a kid's comedy than what we've just been watching for the last hour and a half. And that's where right. I feel like no one knew exactly how to set the tone through the whole movie because that is a banana sequence. That is something you will remember for the rest of your life, this spinning motorcycle in air that keeps launching even though it should have run out of fuel by then. <laughs> and Barry Bostwick is playing it as if it was a spoof, like an SNL sketch. Right, yeah. I, I thought you were going to say the uh, the parachuting, like him flirting with all that parachuting sequence. Dude, I love that. The, I absolutely love that. I don't the, know how that's possible, but I loved it. Just the music. I want to. I, I wanted to dance to that music with my wife when I got married. Um, <laughs> I still. I st- I want to. I want to renew my vows and actually do that. Um, and uh, and give her like. Uh, the Schwartz ring from <laughs> but uh, you know, but uh, yeah, no. I, I when you when you started talking, I thought you were going to talk about the the parachuting, not the motorbike. But um, <laughs> but yeah, the motorbike plays completely like the way I see it now, with the benefit of, of hindsight. The way I see it now is totally like a spoof of. It's almost like a spoof of if, to watch it. It feels like a spoof of Megaforce, but it is Megaforce. <laughs> yeah. Um, because just the look on his face and the rear projection and stuff, it looks like something that they would do a shitty like spoof of it today. 
but it is actually the movie. But uh, so it is kind of a, a a beautiful like gem of a sequence because of that because it feels with the benefit of with 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 the adage of time. Of course, people watching it uh, today that have never experienced it will just go, "Oh my god, this is so shit." Um, look how crappy those effects are, and and you know why is he so happy? You know, I recently yeah. started watching. I, re- I recently started watching Disenchantment on Netflix. Okay, and uh, it, the the look on Barry Boswick's face in that scene reminds me of a line that Elfo says when he he sort of has the shits living with all the uh, the elves that he's with, and so he says, you know, people don't sing when they're happy. That's mental illness. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and <laughs> the, just when I was watching this. Um, last night in preparation for our little chat, um, I kind of had, when I was watching that scene, that line sort of popped into my head. People don't pull those faces when they're riding flying motorbikes. That's mental illness. Um, <laughs> it could, it's, it's just so great. And even even uh, Dallas's face when he, like, he like sees that he's still alive. Like, the look on their faces is almost lust. Yeah. That black dude, I forget his name, um, Oh, you know, look, my brain's a bit fuzzy in the morning. I'll go to IMDb. The black guy, who is he? Um, oh, jeez, it doesn't have his face on it. Who does he play? Oh, I can't remember. But anyway, you've seen the sequence. Yeah, it's, well, I, what I love, the what I love is that Michael Beck is clearly reacting to something that they haven't filmed yet. They're just telling him, okay, now you're really excited. Now you can't believe this. And he's just, like, throwing up random. Like, he has no idea how they're going to shoot this or how they're going to film this. So he's just random inserts. He he almost looks like he's going to cry. And, like, do a a Ben Affleck, Harry, I love you, don't do this. (laughs) Um, And uh, you take take care of my little girl. That's your job now. But, um... Yeah, he 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 looks like he's about to cry. That black dude looks like he creamed in his pants <laughs> a little bit. He's like, oh, God is still alive. You know, he's got that look of complete lust in his face. Ace Hunter, what guy, what a dynamite name, Ace Hunter. Ace Hunter, you know, you just wanna, you just wish that they had gone ahead and done like a trilogy of Ace Hunter movies. Yeah, well, that's the funny thing is, I was and, gonna ask you this. Is yeah. they don't really defeat Henry Silva. They barely show anybody. Actually, I don't see anybody die. That's why it seems like such a kids' movie is because there's these huge explosions, massive blow up, you know, battle scene at the end. I don't see anybody die. I barely see any tanks actually get blown up. It's just random explosions. There's no but weight I... to it, so it feels like I'm watching a, a, an episode of GI Joe where they're just shooting the lasers and everybody parachutes out and it's over. You know, fight for I another day. It is. It's like it's it's almost like the Halloween Town of of action movies or action comedies. Um, it's just flat out wholesome. This is a really wholesome film. Did I ever tell um, you that Halloween is Town is filmed actually not far from here? They have a big. That's t- fantastic. Yeah, they have an event every year. We went a couple years ago. That's fantastic. I'll have to tell my wife it's her favorite like guilty pleasure. Yeah. Uh, Movie is Halloween Town, but yeah, this this Mega Force is like the Halloween Town of action comedies. It is flat out wholesome, like you said. I and and I watched it again. You're right. I don't actually think you see a person like get shot. Like you see a lot of stuff blow up and stuff go flying, but you don't really see any deaths, um, or, or you know, at least any any 
people like you know the classic shots where a dude gets mowed down with a machine right it's, it's like an episode of 18 yeah you don't see dudes on fire like when there's explosion you don't see dudes running away and their backs are on fire and, and all that sort of thing so it's yeah it's just really awesome just just it's yeah it's beautiful it's like it's like cereal and cartoons on a saturday morning yeah it's, it's surprising yeah. if it just been a little more successful you could have turned into a cartoon series but yeah, they, they thought there's going to be huge things. They had video games, they had toys, play sets, you know, stuff like that. And they even say, didn't they even tease that there was going to be a trilogy? Am I wrong? I know they signed uh, up for a trilogy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, I mean, it, it was one of those things they thought, you know, because there was even like some toy deals and stuff like that. But I think more so, more so, like today, like some franchises aren't quite, dead like even if they have like a stillborn uh first effort um they still like studios will not let that die no because the ip is too powerful yeah because they go well okay this didn't this didn't really work like it worked but it didn't so maybe we need to try like in the case of watchmen um like in the case of the golden compass like in the case of uh you know, well, I mean, Batman. our next, our, our other movie, <laughs> Rise of Cobra, is the exact uh, perfect example. Is because it it cost 175 million dollars, made 300 something worldwide. When you split that out to everybody, that only breaks even on the budget. It doesn't even cover the promotion. So then it becomes about well, here's all the tie-ins, and this is about keeping the brand alive. You know, and, and that's why they do a sequel. Yes, they did it for about 50 million dollars less. But it was about the toys, it was about the video games, the clothing, and, and just, you know, oh, maybe one day we'll have G.I. Joe versus Transformers. You have to have that perpetuating. Yeah, oh, sure. And what a cinematic universe it could be. I was talking with someone the other day about this very subject, and I won't go into it as, in, as I did in great depth in that conversation. But what a cinematic universe they could have if they could figure out... <clears throat> If they could get it right, if they could get Masters of the Universe, Thundercats, Silverhawks, Brave Star, you know, you name it, you go through the list, right? And then they say so you take say so you take six titles, and then everyone has their own standalone film. Then the ones where it is relevant, you have combined films, and then you have two massive like Infinity War films. And finally combine in the one film, which has every single thing. It's got Transformers, Masters of the Universe, and they all just come together to fight a common enemy. Uh, or, uh, or I honestly don't know if that like could that. ever happen. Now, some of those are possible because they're owned by the same companies. Who owns yeah. uh, Thundercuts also owns Silverhawks. And I know that He-Man, She-Ra, Bravestar, they're owned by Film... Well, they were owned by Filmation, and they've been bouncing around. They're basically a deal you can just license out to anybody. Now, getting the Transformers and G.I. Joe and stuff like that over there is almost impossible because Hasbro is locked down with Paramount Pictures. But they are planning, right. I don't, I'm sure you've read this, there is the, the Hasbro-verse, which they're planning on. So they have yeah. ROM, Micronauts, Mask, G.I. Joe, and Transformers. And yeah. uh, so Snake Eyes, I didn't even know was filming until I was getting ready for this episode. It's been in production for a month now, and I was like, what the hell? They're starting from scratch again, rebooting everything. Right. 
And, yeah, so, I mean, that could be a thing that happens, but I don't have a whole lot of time because I didn't realize I had another episode scheduled, so we'll talk about Rise of Cobra real quick. But um, All right. I went and saw this in the theater, and I had heard horrible things. I went to, the like, you know, one of those cheapo budget theaters at, towards the end of its run, and at the yes. time, I thought, well, this is actually a pretty good movie. What he attempted to do, especially when he was on a deadline because of the writer's strike... Um, with so yeah. many characters and so many ideas, was actually pretty admirable. And I, yeah. I told people that it's better than you think. It's not great. There's flaws. The more I watch it, the more certain things bother me to no end. Um, right. I still don't understand why they chose Ripcord. I'm a hardcore G.I. Joe guy. Ripcord right. is a footnote. I, I barely remember him. So it's so strange they chose him and not someone like Stalker. Or started off as Roadblock. There's there's like ten characters that are the automatic most popular. You may have one yeah. shot at the GI Joe franchise. Why choose these like heavy duty? That one makes no sense right. to me either. Right, right, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. That that's the first. I'm I'm probably not as hardcore as you, but I was I was back in the day, um, and had all the toys and the cartoons and all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, like I mean. Destro, Baroness, Cobra Commander, like, yeah, you kind of expect that. But with the Joes, like, you know, I mean, Hawk, Duke, um, you know, I thought, man, <laughs> why not Chuckles? Um, yeah, <laughs> well, no, he's still obscure. We're talking, if we're talking the yeah. big guys, the, most yeah. of the major characters in the G.I. Joe universe were in the four... Probably the original four runs. Maybe I think Chuckles was in the fourth, maybe fifth run. But he was never a guy who had something visual that you could... If they do a TV show of G.I. Joe, where they have Chuckles go undercover like he did in the comic books, I can see that, where he goes under as a cobra. That I can see as like a TV series. But there's... uh, Breaker makes sense because he's one of the OGs. He was, in fact, my very first G.I. Joe. But um, it would have been cool if they had spirits... Um, you know, uh, if they're going to go international, you know, and in multi-ethnicity, you know, a Native American hero would be would have been great. Um, thing like, yeah. uh, but it, rock and roll was a great character. But yeah, it just surprises me the people they did choose when there's so many people to go with. Um, yeah. Snake Eyes is perfect. That mask is weird though. I don't want lips. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what I. That's the first thing I, when you were going to say the. Uh, the look is cool. The, the suit is kind of weird, um, but who who better than Ray Park right. uh, to, to play him? Um, and Snake Eyes was my first um, GI Joe figure. Um, really, really cool. I mean, the, the the prospect of always Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, uh, which is in both films, the, this and the sequel, and of course now we're getting a spin-off. Um, I think they because, arguably are the most interesting characters in the franchise. I think that's why they've always been the most popular. It's going to be yeah. real hard, though, if they're going to be focusing solely on Snake Eyes, which, I mean, they obviously are, because that's the title. How do you yeah. get around the fact that he's going to have nothing to say? He's, he doesn't even show his face. Yeah. It's bizarre. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a different kind of movie. Uh, but then again, they're looking for that jo- Joker, I think, is unanimously confirmed that uh, people are interested in, in now these uh, movies that are based on pop culture icons 
uh, and, and certainly a lot of comics and material that are well embedded in the lexicon. They want they want though different now. They don't want the 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 Marvel does Marvel really well. That's a good formula, right? They need to stick to that. If it's not broke, don't fix it. But with DC, it's kind of up for grabs. Like Aquaman is completely off the wall in comparison to the Joker, and they're both a DC uh, property. Okay, uh-huh. so. So I think that this now universally confirms, like, if they if, if, if they are willing to go a different way, not the... Like, Stephen... This is a Stephen Summers movie, right? I love Stephen Summers movies. And Stephen Summers makes Stephen Summers movies. And he, you know, he has the recurring characters like uh, Voslo and... Uh, oh, who's that other chappy? Kevin O'Connor. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. He's him in Deep Rising you know, and The Mummy, yeah. It, yeah, and and you know, and also great character actors like Jonathan Price. I mean, Dennis Quaid as General Hawk is was, was I think a, a nice inspired touch. Um, you know, uh, the the former Mrs. Uh, uh, what's her name, Sienna Miller. Um, very sexy, very very cool. The Baroness, artist. holy crap! That's yeah. I, when I saw that, I better than I possibly imagined. And, but my problem, I think, is I feel like Dennis Quaid, at the time, I thought Dennis Quaid was giving a terrible performance. But then I realized, right. I think what's going on is Stephen Summers had a conversation with some of the cast and said, hey, we want it to be uh, mature, but at the same time reflective on the attitudes of style of the comic book and the cartoon. We don't want to go against that. And a yeah. few of the actors, I think, said, no, I'm not doing that, especially our star. And Channing Tatum doesn't seem like he wants to have fun. He's the dead serious one. And I think that is another one of those tonal issues, which is fixed in the second movie. I also think Stephen Summers overreaches sometimes. His ideas are too big for the budget, so he stretches out his special effects so that they don't always work. The same curse with Mummy 2 and Van Helsing. Right. So many ideas. Some effects are totally. absolutely phenomenal, and I look at some of them, even though when I watched it the first time, when they make Destro the mask, you know, the techno yeah. mask or whatever, at the very end of the movie, I was like, oh, no, someone should have spent a couple right. more days on this. Right, sure, sure. And that's, yes, you're, you're dead right, and that's a very, very good thing to bring up. The only tonally uh, really balanced movie of Stephen Summers is Deep Rising, and it's the one that, that, that bombed the hardest back in the day. Yeah. Uh, but now, now very well, now more respected for what it is. But that is really well balanced. Good mixture of horror, comedy, action, tension, all that sort of thing. The rest of the movies for me, I love The Mummy. I remember coming out a little bit dismayed out of Phantom Menace and went straight into The Mummy and got my mojo back. <laughs> um, he he really has that. Uh, what I call the old classic 80s adventure movie. There used to be a section in video stores, kids. It was called Adventure, the adventure section. It wasn't quite action and it wasn't quite sci-fi. And they had movies in there, uh, uh, you know, like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like Megaforce was actually in the adventure yeah. section. Well, I think, I think I adventure, video store. adventure was the one that rolled the line between sci-fi and action and it was almost always PG or PG-13. Yeah. was meant for everybody. Um, and less sure. about shooting people and just having high, you know, big action sequences that were more physical. Yeah. I don't know. How do you explain yeah. it? Like, 
you know, swinging from ropes and, you know, uh, just uh, traps and stuff like that. I think that was the big difference. Yeah. What I, I, um, yeah, it goes, I mean, it, it, it goes all the way back to like, it goes all the way back to Errol Flynn, like the adventures of Robin Hood and, and all the way up to, you know, Stephen Summers, the mummy. Um, hence the reason why the new mummy oh, was, uh, was, was, was the absolute clusterfuck that it is. Uh, and that's simply because that you can't, I mean, look, if you're going to do something dark and serious, um, then you probably, I don't know, like everything, like there, there seemed to be a, a, a formula where everything was to be dark and serious. And they did it to Superman and Batman and look at the clusterfuck that that movie is. Yep. Um, and because, like, Superman is meant to be, like, uh, with Justice League a little bit, I won't get into a Justice League debate, but with Justice League near, near the end, except for his top lip, they got Superman a little bit more right than they ever have. Um, but, I mean, dark and serious with a, with a, with a universal monster movies, I, did, I never thought was going to be a good way to go. I think that, that what Stephen Summers was trying to do uh, because he himself, if you listen to him, he's a great fan of Universal Monsters. Um, his approach, if he ever, if he had have continued and done the full universe the way they have attempted, they, they were going to attempt to, with uh, with the Tom Cruise mummy picture being the first one, it would have been even more successful because, you know, if he had have done a standalone. Uh, Dracula movie and a standalone Frankenstein movie. You can only imagine a Stephen Summers Frankenstein movie or a Stephen Summers Dracula movie. It would have been absolutely incredible uh, series of films. Of course, he would have been exhausted like Michael Bay is having <laughs> directed all these Transformers movies. But uh, I think it would have been uh, collectively a bigger cash cow if they were willing to take the risk. Yeah. What, and I think the biggest thing about G.I. Joe is I'm not necessarily certain that Stephen Summers wanted to do it. I know that he spent three years trying to put When Worlds Collide together, and Spielberg never pulled the trigger on it. He would never greenlight it. So I think he was itching for something to do. And, I mean, you always got to mind your you know pocketbook, too. And looking around for someone who can do a big adventure movie, they probably offer that to him. He's like, oh, God, I haven't made a movie in five years. i got to make something. So he makes this. And I think that's what put him off was this rush job that he wasn't completely in. And that's why he went to go do Odd Thomas, which should have been the movie that saved his career. And then some sort of legal problem ended up making it you know, buried. It wasn't even allowed to go to theaters for some stupid reason. And I think right. Odd Thomas is his best movie, and it's it's sad that uh, that it looks like it's the last thing he's going to direct. I, he hasn't done anything in ages now. Yeah, it's been it's been um, it's been so quiet. Um, I actually I actually didn't know. I mean, because it because it was basically sunk. I didn't find about out about Odd Thomas for the longest time uh, after its after its release and or its 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 silent release, so to speak. Um, uh, till I was doing a researching a little piece I had to write about Stephen Summers because I was a big fan and they asked me to write something, and I um, 
I said, I was looking through his thing, I saw this odd Thomas, and I go, how, why haven't I seen this? What happened to this movie? And uh, and then, of course, you find out. And, uh, yeah, but it is sad that, that, that Stephen, I'd love to see Stephen Summers direct a Marvel movie. Oh, my God. Uh, because they have the budgets that, that Stephen Summers, I think, would need. Yeah, and uh, he's not to so... Do, to do it. He doesn't have one of those voices that's so strong that he would butt heads with the studio. No, I think he would. I think he would play their game really well. Yeah, and I think that, I think that the end result, like give him give him a big character, give him a big Marvel character, fuck, give him the Fantastic Four. Um, yeah, that, and, actually, that makes sense. Yeah. Big ideas and uh, a fun atmosphere. Yeah. It's about family. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah, I think it's incredibly rude that Paramount never bothered to tell him that he would not be directing the sequel. That he finds out in the trades, and only based on contract does he actually get like an executive producer credit. But he had nothing to do with it whatsoever. You know, what, what would you yeah. feel like if you found out you didn't have a job and that John Chu was hired? Um, that would be like the shittiest thing ever. Yeah, I mean, it's it, for a guy whose films have, have made. I mean, let's face it, he, he went up against the Star Wars movie, um, and, and at the time, you got to remember, uh, people today, you know, obviously people born after this won't know, but the Phantom Menace, the hype that surrounded the Phantom Menace, is it was bigger than anything you saw with, like, Harry Potter or any of the things that have come since the Phantom Menace. I, not even I, I, I'm gonna go as far out there as to say that I don't even think the hype surrounding the Force Awakens was as big as the Phantom Menace. No, it was it the was Phantom unbelievable. Menace, it was deafening. Yeah, the Phantom Menace had such a light around it that you know there was that Australian guy who camped out on the street over there in America for three months or whatever it was. Uh, he actually went to America and camped out on the footpath near this theater to be the first guy to get the first ticket to be the first one. And, uh, man, how bad did that guy feel coming out? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, yeah, how sore was his ass? But yeah. anyway, but the mummy, yeah, uh, it opened the, up, it opened up two weeks earlier yeah. here, but it held its yeah. own for a very long time. And I remember yeah. ILM screwed the mummy. They're like, look, we're really busy. We got to do this, but we'll do it for you. But we're going to charge you, I think it was like $400,000 a minute or something like that. And he was like, oh, God, but I, I need somebody who's going to do great effects. And it works out. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, – oh, shit, my battery's going to die. Let me uh, – <laughs> um, yeah. when I record, I eat but up batteries like crazy. Sorry. Yeah, but no, it's, um, it's completely uh, one of those – like I'll never forget coming out of The Phantom Menace – and I ran into my aunt and my other cousins who had just come out of the mummy. And they said, oh, what did you go and see? And I said, well, I think you know what I went and saw. Um, and they said, oh, you should oh, – we saw that the other day. You totally need to go and see the mummy. And then a whole bunch of people that were sort of standing around behind them all turned to me and said, yeah, go and see the mummy. It's way better. Um and so I went to see the mummy, and I and because I was a little bit, I was kind of in this weird place after Phantom Menace. It was confusion, and 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 contemplation, and I was trying to wrap my head around something that I really wasn't sure what was. So um, yeah, so the mummy was a nice uh, antidote to that feeling. How do you feel about retaliation? 
honestly, honestly, I, 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 I like, I like the, I like Rise of Cobra better. Um, because again, I think the tone of, I think the tone is really off in that movie. I think there's, like, I think they wanted to make that the Snake Eyes movie that they're making now, but they thought, oh no, but we need like Bruce Willis and The Rock and uh, and and all that in it to give it a bit, more, you know. Yeah. But the way I, it's the way it's kind of set up, it's just like, oh, we're really doing the Storm Shadow Snake Eyes thing again. Uh-huh. Uh You know, that's that's how I felt anyway. Look, the blistering action. Everyone, everyone gives their performances. The Rock, the Willis, all those, you know. And uh, but it just it it feels like it started off as one movie. It's sort of like Gladiator. It feels like Gladiator was going one way, and then they just sold out and and made the end of the fall of the Roman Empire. Um, and and so with this retaliation, it feels like it was going to be a bigger movie than it than it is. Because really, it's still only about a small group of people, um, you know, fighting against an unseen uh, foe or, or or a phantom menace, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it, it's I don't know. Maybe because I'm a Stephen Summers fan, I'm partial. But but I like I like that the blend, even though the tone is a little bit off too. In Rise of Cobra, like it feels like it. Sometimes he's trying to do. Uh, he's trying to do something me- mega, mega forcey mixed with, you know, a big tentpole action movie. Well, I think my thing with Retaliation is I remember walking out of the theater going, I think it was a better film, like when it comes to dialogue and action sequences. Oh, but right, right, yeah. I didn't have any fun. And shouldn't I exactly. be having fun? This is so weird. And yeah. I think it's because of the critical reaction to the first one that they started to make it more serious. But like you said, it feels like three scripts that were mushed into one. It's a Snake Eyes movie. It's a, hey, let's clean house, which I thought was a bullshit move, uh, killing off all those characters, killing off basically all the Joes in the first 15 minutes. It's, yes, I get that there's too many characters in the first movie. But what they did with the second movie is almost insulting. Like, oh, okay, we're going to kill Channing Tatum in the first. Like, don't take him out. They should have just wounded him and taken him out of the movie. They screw themselves if there's ever going to be a part three. And I was convinced for years there was going to be a part three, but they're so stupid that they only locked in on Dwayne Johnson, who is a guy who's notorious yes. for attaching himself to sequels, and they never happen. Right, right. So they screwed themselves that way. And I always thought, well, what if Channing Tatum isn't dead? You, you see it blow up, but you don't, I don't believe that you sh- they show him his dead body. And I thought what would be really cool is if they took his body and revived it, and that's how they turned into Serpentor. That's a great storyline. And obviously, right, right. they're never going to do that now. No, no, no. I mean, there's, there's so look, the GI Joe is such a mine. Like it's like a, it's like Alibaba's cave um, of of treasures. Uh, that if they if they could figure out how to if you know if they could figure out how to do it, you could have a really big. Uh, series of films. Yeah. Well, make it. Uh, I think. I think it should be like either each movie or maybe a limited series where you focus on literally each run of the toys. You introduce the right. original characters, the first twelve, and you stick with them. The problem with that is Snake Eyes is clearly the most popular character. He didn't come in until the second run, so it's kind of like Wolverine. Right. When they did the X Men movies, Wolverine was not an original X Men. 
And yet they forced well, that. And I think they screwed everything because Beast, Angel, um, Iceman, you know, they all had to sit back while Wolverine right, and, and, right. So, and like Rogue and stuff like that were focused on. I thought that was a huge mistake, and I think it's fucked the entire franchise. Right, right. Yeah. No, it's... X-Men, I, I, I really only like X-Men 2. If I have to watch an X-Men movie, X-Men 2 for me is um, is probably the best out of the, the pick. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, everyone... Like, like everyone said that first film was really incredible and it did really well, but I, I still don't know. I still was very disappointed. Yeah, it's it's, well, it's hammy. You look back now and you're yeah. like, oh boy. Yeah, I just went, I, and I still like I haven't really watched it that many times to be honest. I've watched, like I said, I've watched X Men two probably the most out of any of X Men movies, yeah. and most of them, most of them I've only seen once or maybe twice. Um, but yeah, I, I was still the, the first X Men. I thought I was very disappointed. I thought, wow, that's that's the X Men. That's not the <laughs> X Men movie. The, yeah. You know, c- coming off the comics and then coming off the cartoon, which I loved, um, I thought, wow, that's. That's Hollywood's X Men. They're all in like these dark black. No, oh, right, suits. the post Matrix. And do you think that might yeah. be a problem? Well, I guess the GI Joe characters aren't necessarily tied to a particular look. Only Snake Eyes and right. Storm Shadow have to have a look because even they don't even get Cobra yeah. Commander right really in the first movie. But yeah, I think I think that long history. It's the the I don't you don't I don't need you to fanboy me. I don't need you to give me every yeah. single thing. But get it yeah. closer to what I grew up with, please. Yeah, I think I, I think that there's always this, um, and I really hate to hear it too. Like when you you get these movies that you like and they've done them really well, um, and they always have that 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 extra feature where they talk about we had to take what was in the comic book and make it universal, something that everyone could recognize, as well as something also for the fans, right? Um, you know, I mean, look how how. How fucking well did Jamie Wan prove to the world, like, you can put Aquaman in the traditional fucking outfit. Yeah. And, and it doesn't look fucking stupid. And have him riding a dragon, a seahorse dragon, or whatever it is, an Avatar seahorse dragon. And it looks awesome. Yeah, I, and, it always boggles and, my mind that they put William Defoe in a mask. I'm like, have you seen yeah. William Defoe's face? His face! Right. <laughs> Exactly, like the green, like the the green goblin was a big letdown for me. I thought, oh, he's just in a, a and like that the, the green goblin head is now a helmet. And I thought that looks so stupid. I it thought, does, really, yeah. um, I mean, lucky they they went and they resurrected that with with Doc Doc Ock. I thought they the way. Oh yeah, they Spider-Man got that right. Two, yeah, Spider Man Two is also in talking about sequels. Spider Man Two is my favorite of the Spider Man um, movies. The Sam Raimi Spider-Man too, definitely. Uh, they got Doc. They they nailed Doctor Octavius so well, and uh, yeah, that was just like the perfect uh, Spider-Man movie. Um, fight me, yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah. But like you say, having fun. These both these films, both uh, GI Joe: The Rise of Cobra and Mega Force, are so much fun movies. The tone, yes, is uneven. Some of it doesn't quite make sense. But they're big um, ideas. Yeah. It's, it's about the imagination, yeah. and that's what I enjoyed. Yeah, and I and I, I love the fact that uh, there were two guys that loved this film so much 
that they went out and, and did it, a further parody of it with Team America. I forgot um, about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I hope, I, I like to think in my heart of hearts that one day Matt Stanitrope Parker was sitting down maybe having some beers or getting baked or something like that and were watching Megaforce go, you know, we need to do this like, like marionettes. You know? <laughs> um, you know, and and like as much as people say like it's it's uh, more of a spoof on Michael Bay movies, no, whenever I watch it, I totally see Megaforce's influence. My one regret is that Megaforce has no musical numbers. Yeah, it seems like it should be, especially with Barry Bostwick being such a you know well-known Broadway guy. It would have been great if they had broken the songs. Uh, but my worry I is that it could turn into something like Captain Invincible, where there's so few songs. The like, is this technically a musical? It had three moments, and that's it. <laughs> right. No. Oh, look. I, I love. It. Oh, man. The 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 Return of Captain Invincible is one of my favorite films of all time. I'm very fortunate to have talked to Philip Moore more on one yeah. occasion. Very interesting it. guy. Well, um, while we're talking about that, where can we find your writings and whatnots? Uh, well, you can catch me, uh, of course, here with you and on podcast them softly. Coming up, I've got uh, the Academy Award winner, Paul Hirsch, the man who edited Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, uh, promoting his new book a long time ago in a cutting room far, far away. Um, also, a couple of books. Steve Carver, the man who directed Lone Wolf McQuaid, that's right, the film with David Carradine and Chuck Norris. Oh my gosh, he's written a book, uh, Western Heroes. Um, he'll be big, talking with me. I'm a big fan of Bulletproof. Sorry. No one ever talks about Bulletproof. That is a lot of fun. Yeah, Steve Carver, great guy, talking with this week promoting his uh, new book, Western Heroes, uh, Hollywood Legends. And also, Matthias Hughes returns to podcast them softly soon. He's not feeling well. We send our get well soon out there to uh, the Dark Angel himself. He comes in peace. It's Matthias Hughes. Um, he's coming on to discuss his book, uh, Shirtless in Hollywood, a memoir. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're doing, uh, doing a lot of books. Uh, Matthias and I had a great interview when we talked about – well, we, initially we talked – because he was promoting or helping promote uh, Showdown in Manila, Alex Nevsky's wonderful, like, uh, it's a great little sort of uh, lower-budget version of The Expendables with Cynthia Rothrock and Don Wilson and uh, Oliver Grenier and, um, and of course, Nevsky. It's got, it's got, uh, it's got uh, a very funny Casper Van Dien playing a, a guy who was once a sex addict, but he's, uh, he's the best PI in Manila. Um, and they and they get a ton of Chinese food that they never touch, uh, which is a shame. But yeah, you can catch me on podcast them softly or at scrib uh, at KHP scribbling on Facebook for all my uh, uh, books, audio books, Amazon dot com, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, that's my story. <laughs> all right, so everybody, this is the end of this episode, and check us out. What? 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 I screw up? What I screw up? You have to you have to end it properly. Well, you have to gonna, end it properly. I was going to plug where, where the, the show is. <laughs> no, no, you have to you have to do the line from Megaforce at the end. I don't even remember what the line is. I'll see you in Boston. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> no, no, punch it. I got a date in London. Oh right, that's what it is. <laughs> you know, because it's a it's a place called the Lion's Head. I thought we'd be there for drinks when this is all over.
<laughs> okay. <laughs> Video night. It's up on Facebook. Uh, check us out and have a good night. All right. <laughs> I didn't remember the line. I'm sorry. <laughs>